Is the return of Jesus Christ to this earth imminent? Could it happen at any moment? That's the definition of imminence, something that's likely to occur at any moment. But I've heard it said so many times from the pulpit that all the prophecies have been fulfilled that need to be fulfilled before the return of Christ. But no, I don't see that in the Bible. Well, this is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. I want the truth. And I'm sure you, as prophecy buffs, want the truth as well. So, if Christ's return is not imminent in the sense that it's likely to occur at any moment, then what is the blessed hope? That's what we're covering today on the podcast. Here's what I'm going to tell you in essence. To say that Jesus' return is imminent is to promote a fatal assumption that Jesus is skipping over some of the things he told us would happen. Big things. And why would he do that? And why on earth would he tell his appointed scripture writers, all of whom knew Jesus or knew of him through others like the Apostle Paul and Luke, Luke didn't know Matthew. He lived later. And Mark was associated, but probably not one of the twelve. So these writers, but how did they all get it in the same order? For example, let's go to Mark 13, which is kind of a parallel, really, of Matthew 24. Did Mark copy Matthew 24? I have no idea. But in verse 2, he starts out by saying, Yes, look at these great buildings. The disciples were walking through the temple and showing Jesus the big buildings. Huge boulders over there. Or not boulders, but stone. Cut stone so precise you couldn't wedge a piece of paper through it. Some of them weigh 20,000 tons apiece. I don't know how they did that. That's amazing. But they will be completely demolished, according to Jesus right here. Not one stone will be left on top another. Is that an idiom? I don't know. I think it's likely that what Jesus said, he meant Verse 3, later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple. That's probably the Kidron Valley. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? In other words, likely to occur at any moment. So, Jesus is going to paint that picture for them to show them when they can expect his return. So the first thing out of his mouth in response is, 
don't let anyone mislead you. (laughs) But we do. We are allowing that if we think that today we are in imminent likelihood that Jesus himself will come back at any second. No, I'm here to say that's not real based on the words of Christ. Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end will not follow immediately. So when we see these wars and rumors of wars taking place, The idea is that it won't follow immediately. It's not imminent yet. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world, as well as famines, which means droughts. And then followed by that is crop failure and famine. There's nothing to eat. But this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Okay, so there's more to come. We know there's earthquakes now in many parts of the world, so that's a check. And we know there's famines, but there are more of them to come. As we talked about last week, the Danube River, the Mississippi River, the Euphrates River, the Colorado River, and on and on it goes. Around the world, these rivers are all drying up. Why? Did he know? Well, yes, he did know. He, after all, is, according to Colossians, the creator of the planet Earth and everything that's on it. When these things begin to happen, watch out. This is verse 9, Mark 13. You will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. Now, then he starts listing 15 different things that I find are yet to occur before the rapture, or before the return of Christ. Fifteen major events. Verse 10, For the good news must be preached to all nations. Well, I know that the Gideons are putting out almost, well, 2.5 billion scriptures given out by the Gideons in the last 114 years of their history. And they're still doing it today. But there are still more than 4 billion people who have never even heard the name of Jesus. So there is a lot of work left to be done. I suggest you join the Gideons or join in their efforts to spread the Bible around the world. Eustace could find them in every hotel room in table, drawer, or laying out. Now, sometimes they won't even let the Gideons go into these hotels or motels. But anyway, in verse 11, 
Here's another thing. But when you are arrested, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Not raptured? No, you're arrested and you stand trial. Don't worry in advance what to say. Just say what God tells you at the time. For it will not be you who is speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Have you been in jail for the gospel? Well, I don't want to be in jail for anything, but I never know. Nobody, none of us know whether or when the Bible will be confiscated away from us and we'll go to jail as a believer or even worse. And you know what I mean. The third thing is in verse 12. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child, and the children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. Does that happen in your world? Well, so far, not in mine. At least not that severely. I'm still alive. And everyone will hate you, in verse 13, because you are my followers. We're not quite there yet, honestly. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's the fourth thing. You have to endure to the end. That doesn't mean it's, he's coming back in the next five seconds. No, not at all. You may have to endure to the end to be saved. Verse 14. The day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where it should not be. That hasn't happened yet, to my knowledge. I'd like to know if and when that does happen, because we'll be a little bit closer. Verse 15, Those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. In the Middle East, there are staircases outside the home so that people can can get up on their flat roofs. So don't even go back through the door into the house. You, It's time to run. Well, it's not quite that time yet. In verse 16, he says, a person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. What if you're cold? Don't go back. You might get killed, is the implication there. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter. For in those days, there will be greater anguish than at any time since God created the world. And it will never be that great again. In fact, and this is another thing. In fact, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity, not a single person will survive. Are we there yet? Oh, no. And then there's another one in the next part of that verse. But for the sake of his chosen ones, he has shortened those days. Verse 21, if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out. Jesus is warning you and I to watch out. I have warned you about this ahead of time. 
We're, you know, we weren't rubbing elbows with Jesus, but Mark may have been at some point. I don't know. But nevertheless, we also are his disciples, Mark's disciples, and therefore Jesus' disciples. We learned about Jesus through Mark and also Matthew and Luke and John and Paul. At that time, verse 24, after the anguish of those days. Now, okay, we already have 10 things that have not happened yet. Already, we've seen those. Now we've got four or five more in a row right here. And this is verse 24. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened. That has not happened yet. Did Jesus change his mind? Did he cancel that one? Um, no. The moon, verse, the, the next one is the moon will give no light. The next one, verse 25, the stars will fall from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. All of those quote-unquote heavenly signs have not yet occurred, not in the way that it will. The sun hasn't become dark, although it may be a little bit dimmer than it was. It's still pretty bright, if you ask me. It's very bright, brighter than usual. The moon will give no light. Why? Well, there's an asterisk here, which leads us down to the bottom of the page, which talks about it. See Isaiah 13.10 and 34.4. So let's go there. The 13th chapter of Isaiah, verse 10, says this. I'm going to start in verse 9. For see, the day of the Lord is coming, a terrible day, the day of his terrible fury and fierce anger. The land will be made desolate, and all the sinners destroyed with it. The heavens will be black above them. The stars will give no light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will provide no light. I, the Lord, will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their sin. I will crush the arrogance of the proud and humble the pride of the mighty. I will make people more scarce than gold, more rare than the fine gold of Ophir. For I will shake the heavens and the earth will move from its place. When the Lord of heaven's armies displays his wrath in the day of his fierce anger. Unquote. That's Isaiah 13, verse 13. In chapter 34 of Isaiah, verse 4 and onwards, the heavens above will melt away and disappear like a rolled up scroll. Well, when the sun gets blackened and dark, yeah, you can't see the stars. You can't see the heavens. So they will disappear like a rolled up scroll, which means when you roll a scroll up, you can no longer read the words written. Just the same way. The stars will fall from the sky like withered leaves from the grapevine or shriveled figs from a fig tree. The problem with that is, 
Stars can't fall. They're like our sun. Will our sun fall? Negative. No. It's there for a reason, and there as long as God wants it to be there. But what can fall is man-made stars, like satellites that are out there today. They look just exactly like stars, except they're moving across the sky. That's what I believe he's talking about. Those stars will fall from the sky because they're guided and directed by radio signals through substations that are all over the earth. They're populated by engineers who keep them aloft by triggering retro rockets to make course adjustments so they don't mess up or fall or bonk into one another. Then in verse 5, when my sword has finished its work in the heavens, it will fall on Edom, the nation I have marked for destruction. The sword of the Lord is drenched with blood and covered with the fat of lambs and goats and the fat of rams prepared for the sacrifice. Now these are generals. These are not talking about animals. They're talking about army men, their governors and their rulers and their leaders, generals and such. Yes, the Lord will offer a sacrifice in the city of Basra. Now, where's that at? Well, there's two of them. One of them is in Petra. That's another word for Petra. And there's another Basra in Iraq someplace. He will make a mighty slaughter in Edom. It's all part of the Edomite territories. Even men as strong as wild oxen will die. See, it's not talking about oxen. It's talking about men. The young men alongside the veterans, the land will be soaked with blood, their blood, and the soil enriched with fat. For it is the day of the Lord's revenge, the year when Edom will be paid back for all it did to Israel. The streams of Edom will be filled with burning pitch, and the ground will be covered with fire. That's what's burning, and that's what's making the black smoke that's going to darken the sun and the moon. So there's going to be a lot of those fires out there. Oh, what's burning pitch? It's oil. It's asphalt. It's tar like the tar pits in Genesis 14 and verse 10. Read it sometime and you'll find out what happened. You know, when sand blows over a lake of oil, it will fill up or or go onto the top, and the sand looks exactly like all the other sand around there. And so these kings fall into it with their horses. There's no escaping that. It's quicksand full of oil underneath where they died. That's what's in Genesis 14.10. Now, what is this fire and what's going to happen to that? Well, verse 10, this is the judgment on Edom and it will never end. The smoke of its burning will rise forever. The land will lie deserted from generation to generation. Would you want to live there? Not me. No one will live there anymore, and so on. But for further proof, you can go to 
Revelation 14, 1 and 9, 2. Let's just flip back there. Revelation 14 and verse 1 says, Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. What does that mean? Well, it means that they're thinking about God all the time. God's working with these people, and he's making sons out of them. Then on down to uh, verse 11, the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. They will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus, unquote. Well, what about the powers of the heavens that will be shaken in uh, verse 25 of Mark 13? The powers of the heavens is the power of the earth itself to make rain, to make weather, to make wind. That's what's going to be disrupted. If the sunlight cannot hit the ocean water, it can't evaporate it into clouds. Or if mankind has messed around with geoengineering and caused all the water to go up above us in these fake clouds, they don't even look right to me. Now, I've taken photographs of these in my own yard. And uh, you can see a grid pattern. And you can hear them every day. Every day I'm outside... I can hear, they're spraying up there, these, these trails of aluminum oxide and barium and who knows what all else, just to reflect the sunlight away from the earth and to cause cloud cover to uh, sequester the water that's in the a atmosphere itself. And what does that do? Well, it dries out the planet and that's exactly why you see these rivers going dry. It's been dry here. It hasn't rained a good rain here in probably three months. But we're spoiled in Florida. We're spoiled because we get a lot of rain, usually. Not this year. It's dry, very, very tender dry. So whether it's by man-made reasons or by something else, the sun will be darkened. Now, you can imagine great volumes of this oil. The sun will be blocked and darkened, and the moon will give no light. That's why the stars fall. The satellites will fall because they no longer can receive these adjustment signals. And so they will fall as a result. But the powers of the heavens being shaken... Well, when these black clouds of oil smoke are up there, yes, that's exactly what will happen. There won't be normal weather patterns at all. It's all going to be messed up. But let's consider the facts that all of these things, these 15 things that I've listed here, have not yet happened. So is Jesus really coming back imminently? 
any second? Can his return occur at any moment? I'd have to say no, 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 no. His rapture is not imminent. So what is? What is this blessed hope? Well, the only real sensible thing about imminence is the fact of the reality that today might be my last day on earth. I am subject to death at any moment. It only takes one heartbeat to stop. If that were to stop, I'd drop dead. That's just the way it is. And that's the way it is for every human being. That's what's imminent, our death. So what's the blessed hope? The blessed hope is to be resurrected. The next thing you will know, one second, it's like you close your eyes and then open them again. That's how long it'll take in your mind to get to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying to go commit suicide. No, that's not what Jesus is referring to for you to do or me to do. Hopefully, none of us will do that. There's no reason to do that because it would be defying God. It's taking what belongs to him. Don't do that. But still, our blessed hope is in being raised together with all the saints at the resurrection upon his arrival, his return. That's the blessed hope. So if we were to die and be resurrected in the very next second of our understanding and being, it could be a thousand years between now and the time of our resurrection. But we wouldn't know it. The next thing we know will be there. It's our own deaths that are imminent, not Jesus returning. He still has his own time schedule. And he's right on time. His timing is flawless and perfect in every way. We need to be realistic. We need to face reality and face what's coming our way, like persecutions and trouble and trials and difficulties and bad weather, and so on and so forth. I believe personally that the whole world will become so vastly polluted, it'll be hard to breathe every day. And when we do breathe, we'll take into our bodies toxic chemicals that are going to harm our health. That's what we can look forward to, folks. But... It's he that endures to the end. Notice what he says here in verse 34 and 35. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each one of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do, and he told the gatekeeper to keep watch for his return. Verse 35, Mark 13, you too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return in the evening at midnight, before dawn or daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say unto you what I say to everyone, watch for him. Yes, we can watch for the signs of Christ 
But that doesn't mean he's about to come. It might be that we're about to die, yes. That's imminent. That's what's really imminent. If you compare the events and the order of the events that are in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, you'll find that they're all the same. Why is it then that Jesus would have changed the order of things? You'll notice in Matthew 24, for example, in verse 44, he says, You must also be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Well, right now we're expecting him imminently, right away, or, as you know, he could occur at any time. No, no, we're not to expect him imminently. But he will come when least expected. You can imagine if the sky turns black, people will start to give up on the return of Christ. They're going to say, he didn't come, and we're still here, and we didn't get raptured away. So I'm giving it up. You know, don't give it up. He's on his time schedule, not mine, not ours, not our wishful wishes, our thinking that we can make him come whenever we want him to. Well, no, he's on his own time schedule. He doesn't need us to correct him. So let's not do that. Let's flip on back to Revelation chapter 8 for a second. And then we'll close the podcast. The first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down to the earth. One-third of the earth was set on fire, one-third of the trees were burned, and all the green grass was burned. Have you looked around lately? There is a lot of grass out there that isn't being mowed because it's brown. There are trees dying in every single yard, including my own. Why? I suspect it's all because of the global warming scare and the spraying they're doing overhead and the sequestering of moisture in fake clouds that are man-made seeded clouds. We're not getting the moisture down here on the earth. I've noticed the air is different. It doesn't smell right. It doesn't feel right. It smells like phosgene gas when I'm welding aluminum or steel or galvanized. And there's a funny taste to it in my mouth. This is not really normal weather patterns at all. And these tastes and smells in the air are heavy and they're toxic more than likely. So when the earth dries out, it can easily catch fire and all the grass can be burned up. When it's dead, it is burned up. That's what we call it as farmers. It's burned up. May as well be on fire. It's burned brown. Well, this is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. I hope I've given you some food for thought, and I hope you consider this. Don't just take my word for anything, please. But the rapture is not imminent. And you can study the Bible and see if what I've said is true. Let's not live on wishful thinking, please. 
So until next time, you can go to my website, itellwhy.com. Have a great day and look up, but be patient, please. Jesus is coming. Don't give up.